0: Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse.
1: Today on tap we have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles starring Judith Hogue, Elias Cotes, and James Sato. Story by Bobby Herbeck, screenplay by Todd Langan and Bobby Herbeck, and directed by Steve Barron. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. It's time to start a new film review cask, and one we've done twice before in the past, but maybe there's just something about the summer movie season that I think is just a lot of fun. You know, those big releases, those tentpole films at studios use to you know build the rest of their slate i mean your indie films get funded off of what the big stuff does in the summer
0: yeah you've got three months to make your budget for the year Mm -hmm. and then maybe a month around the holiday season christmas christmas wise Mm -hmm. this is what butters your bread for the stuff that's cerebral and a little smarter and a little bit more uh, concept or uh, story driven not concept driven yeah This is a big, big, big moment, though, because this is mostly an independent film, and I'm sure you're going to get into that. Yeah, I think the lesson of this
1: cask is going to be films
0: that were big moneymakers in the
1: the time of the summer. And we're starting with the original Ninja Turtles movie from 1990. Matt's right. It was an independent film upon release. But we're going to talk about the comics, cartoon, the film itself. A lot to talk about today. So let's get right to it with our flight question. So back in 1984, two men by the name of Kevin Eastman and Peter Lared created what has got to be the craziest idea for a comic book. And it's paid off for them is it, dividends because even today there's the whatever iteration version of the cartoon they're still making. They made the Michael Bay Turtles films a, a few years ago with Megan Fox. I mean, this property has like never seemed to die off, especially in my lifetime. So Based in 84, there's Mirage Comics, you know, that's not a DC or or a Marvel, kind of a, a smaller comic book company. It all started there. So my flight question to you, Matt, is take your pick. You can take Marvel, DC, Image, Dark Horse, you know, Mirage, whatever you want, a comic book series or character
0: that hasn't seen their due on screen yet. What do you want to see? Mine comes from a subsidiary of Image known as Top Cow. And unfortunately the person that I'm going to speak in in this passed away in 08 at the age of 37, brilliant artist, amazing storyteller. And that guy's name is Michael Turner. So I don't know if, or yeah. uh, Yeah. Michael Turner. Um, As much as I'm going to advocate for this particular story being turned into a film, the medium that he chose to tell this particular one in was well-suited to comics because it allowed for a really lush environment without having to go beyond the pale with financing. Mm -hmm. And this would go beyond the pale. They've launched another one of his concept a couple of times, which is Witchblade as a couple of television series and recently slated, I think to try to be returned to TV in 17, but then has died on the vine. I think it made it two seasons on TNT really highly regarded and then canceled. So, Michael Turner did Witchblade. I think it's one through eight, but that's not the one I'm going to talk about. Okay. The one I talk about is a two, no, it's a four-year run, 14 episodes, and it's Fathom. You ever heard of Fathom? Mm -mm. A ship essentially appears in the sea, and it's been missing for 10 years. And the people in the ship have no idea that they have been gone for that long. So we're playing with a Bermuda Triangle kind of idea. And on that ship is a girl named Aspen. So in a terrible but quick, not to give the whole story away, because I hope this inspires some people to go find a digital Mm -hmm. graphic novel and just really appreciate how beautifully drawn this is. Take a much more supernatural version of Splash with a significantly sharper edge to it. We're talking about warring factions underwater, and I don't want to get too mermaid heavy, but there is an influence in there with it but not the beautiful seductress that mm-hmm. Daryl Hannah plays in that. So yeah. for a reference point, that's a concept, I think, that you can draw on in a similar fashion. But the first 14 episodes that he did, and it was, it was beleaguered with lates and missed deadlines, and the guy was struggling with some health issues, and the amount of time that just went in per panel was hours and hours, so he missed a lot of deadlines. Mm-hmm. And I remember when the first six-issue arc ran, and was finished. I couldn't wait to get more. And man, it would seem like there was three to four months sometimes for another one to come out. Ooh, the long wait. Yeah. And there was a lot going on. And like I said, he passed away at the age of 37. Jeez. At the height of his powers. Yeah. And for all of the love that Witchblade got, he left that pretty early and it went on and did just fine for itself. But there was three comics that they did there at that time. It was Ascension. It was Witchblade and it was Fathom. And I read all of those religiously. haha, with Ascension. If anyone else read that. hmm. It got to the point where there were mega crossovers. They owned Tomb Raider for a little while, like Lara Croft Tomb Raider. Mm -hmm. So there's a Witchblade, Fathom, Tomb Raider crossover. Interesting. And then Michael Turner was gone. Now the rights to Fathom are still owned by his estate and his business. I believe it's actually called Aspen. Quote me on that. But uh, it would take some money to do it well Mm -hmm. because it's very aquatic. But the story between this warrior s refugee from some mostly nondescript sect in an underwater universe that we'd never explored played really well, but it played really well on land. So you want that story to be in the water because that's where it fits, but what happened on the land and the relationship she developed and as much as I've talked about, the wonder woman love triangle mm. the, that was handled sort of equally. Well, I shouldn't say love triangle cause there really isn't a triangle wonder woman and Trevor Steve. <laughs> We've talked about that so much. I know. Um, this is handled in the same way. Yeah. Great choice. I have those. Yeah. Maybe I'll bring them by and let you take a look at them. Yes, please. I have all 14 of them. They're gorgeous. Yes. Um, I need to dabble into that cause yeah, I'm kind of guilty.
1: of not like really going outside they go outside of DC and Marvel, but like within the collected graphic novels. So, so some dark horse stuff, you know, some image comic, uh, items as well, but I need to branch out a little bit more in, in, in that, in that regard. So yes, please show me. I'll bring them by great choice. I I will have to kind of see about, uh, if that ever, I've never even heard of like them even developing anything like that before. So we'll have to kind of see Yeah. mine. I'm cheating a little bit, Matt, because they have made a version of this. It was animated, but I want live action, uh, and I am cheating again because I do know it is in some form of development right now, but it always seems to die at like the 11th hour. I'm talking about Kachuri, Kachuri, Kachurio Otomo's masterpiece, Akira. Uh, man, we want to uh, see this. I mean, talk about vibrant cyberpunk, science fiction. I mean, that just lives on the screen. Take Blade Runner or, you know, whatever huge science fiction you like. But last I heard, uh, it's an active development uh, with uh, Taiko Watiti at the helm. So that's nice. That could be pretty good, mm-hmm. but they always it kind of, I don't know. It just always dies. Like they're about to start and then something kills it. And I don't know what it is, but I just hope they go the route. Like don't like do the ghost in the shell thing and hire like the most popular actor at the time. Like mm-hmm. go handle hire some Japanese actors. Cause it's set in Neo Tokyo post-World War three In a post kind of economic recovery of Japan, it's kind of like Godzilla, (laughs) but it's just so vibrant in the way it's done. And I'm not a big anime guy, but like, there's something about that one that really kind of jumps out at me. Maybe it's kind of the, you know, the robotic aspect. It's, it reminds me a lot of Blade Runner actually, but it's like a lot
0: more like action-packed Blade Runner. (laughs) Huh. Yeah. Okay. I do remember that being a really popular video mm-hmm. that uh, a lot of people liked, that it's animated a, version. It's a, or was it a show? It was a movie, yeah. yeah. It's it's a good uh, anime.
1: But you want live action? I want a live action. It's going to cost a lot, much like yours, yeah. I mean, to uh, recreate a, a digital. Either, you know, if Taika somehow belled, you know, Denny Villain Wave, you know, he's doing Dune and he did Blade Runner. I mean, he would be kind of perfect for perfect. that idea as well, so... Any consideration, I know he's really well-regarded in the comic community, and I know
0: there's the development hell of this film, uh, Neil Gaiman's Sandman. Not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've read some of that, and I didn't find that as, as likable as everyone else does, and I do not like um, American gods or whatever. Mm-hmm. That, I find that unwatchable. But there are a couple Straczynski properties that I can get behind Supreme Power, which is a Marvel-owned property. Mm-hmm. But the one that I really like is Midnight Nation. That's a man basically, upon his death, trying to figure out, and it plays out like a detective story. Uh, Strazinski started that under his own comic line known as Joe Comics, Joe's Comics. I have that too. <laughs> should take a look Let at it. Let me
1: borrow it. I mean, I need, I'm need. i going to go on a, on a comic binge here. I mean, if you don't subscribe to Comixology or I'm kind of all about Marvel Unlimited right now, I mean, yeah. you get access to like, Anything that's ever been done by Marvel through there and Comixology has Marvel, DC, and all a lot of the independents as well. So if you're into you know comic books, I mean, you got to kind of get over the digital aspect of it, which is a little hard for me. I like kind of like I have, mm-hmm. I like having a comic in my hand, the smell of them, like yeah, and, and uh, and reading those crazy, ridiculous ads for like uh, hubba, bubba, bubblegum, or yep. whatever. Yep. But if you can get over that, those are some like great subscriptions to get onto. I mean, Comixology, that's uh, Amazon, right? It is. So get on that. There's your homework. There dig, you in, dig into some of those um, great properties. And Ninja Turtles there while you're at it. I mean, an entirely dark uh, iteration of the characters. And then it kind of evolved into a little bit of the cartoon and the film that we watched today. So
0: let's get on with Kevin Eastman and Mr. Laird's fine property here and see what we can come up with. Let's dive right into our review breakdown of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles.
1: We have had our first battle, Master Splitter. They were many, but we kicked... We fought
2: well. Mm -hmm. Were you seen? Mm -mm. In this, you must never lapse. Even those who would be our allies would not understand. Our domain is the Shadow. Stray from it reluctantly. For when you do, you must strike hard and fade away. Without a trace. I lost the sign! Then it is gone. But I can get it back! I can get it back! Raphael, let it go. Okay. <clears throat> Your ninja skills are reaching their peak. Only one truly important lesson remains, but must wait. I me, know bro? it is hard All right. for you here. Good. Underground. Yeah, okay. I want a oh, large, cool.
1: thick crust with sandwich. double cheese, ham, pepperoni. Alrighty, alrighty. Let's start at the beginning and our kind of opening scene montage that, man, I'm always a big fan in just any movie that, you know, decides to take the alternative route instead of like Raiders of the Lost Ark as Indiana Jones and, you know, he whips the gun out of that guy's hand that's going to shoot him. Introdu- great introduction to the character. I like when films decide to take the opposite approach and we establish the villains first Mm -hmm. as a kind of a formidable presence. And I like how the foot is so rudimentary in like the way it's perceived as just petty theft, street crime, street use, street gang, stealing TV, stealing wallets, purses, purse snatchers. But it's the seedlings of something a lot darker and a lot more malevolent as we progress throughout the story. So what do you kind of think of the foot? I mean, it's a lot like the hand in Daredevil, this yeah. kind of like shadowy ninja thing, but how do you think they represent as an opponent for our heroes in this in this film?
0: Oh, it's so appropriate. They're nondescript and there's plenty of them, so you have lots of fodder to pummel about, so that's a good start. I don't have to worry about Remembering who's who or who the later the leader in the foot is, because they're all dressed the same. So they're all just maybe different sizes, but a similar skill set. Mm-hmm. But what I liked about the beginning is we get this street level version of children pulling off little petty thefts. Mm-hmm. And this is all set to a narration by April O'Neill, who is television midday reporter, I suppose. Mm-hmm talking about how this siege of crime has beset itself upon New York City and there's just wave after wave and theft and theft and theft and people are losing possessions left and right. And as she's narrating this, we're seeing what's crazy, the acolytes of the foot being seduced into a potential foot position if they steal enough, I'm going to assume. Yeah. And then, you know what works the best for me out of all that? Mm Mm-hmm is you see that it's stored in Stromboli's Island, mm-hmm. which I think we're supposed to come to believe is a fencing operation. So there's an economic reason to do it. But if you steal enough, then you gain favor or curry favor with the powers that be, and you are essentially knighted into the abyss of similarity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One, one noteness are they're, they're all kind of
1: uniform, all the same. I mean, it's, it's called sed- family, right? It's, yeah. It's seduction through the material. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, it reminds me of the, do we want to call these guys the lost boys? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. that's kind of, I mean, these are latchkey kids, kids without a path that, yeah, you entice them. I don't know how you would entice kids of a current era because we all have these phones that do everything. But back in the day, Throw them some, you know, some, yeah, some Cokes and Burger King and cigarettes and stereos and arcade games. And you find a kind of a covert way to bring them over to the dark side. Yeah. I think it's a slow process. And I think once we meet the shredder and his, you know, kind of plan to, you know, create more of these foot soldiers so you can just overrun New York with crime. His recruiting method is actually pretty smart. I mean, you're going to you bring them in on stuff they like to do. And you're right. You know, after a time, they will ascend to the foot. And then once they're in the foot, I don't know if you kind of got this impression, Matt, but once they're there, they don't get to go back to the old ways. You know what I mean? Right. They don't get to go play on the arcade games. I mean, they're now students of the Dragon Doji at that point. Um,
0: it's
1: kind of sad. <laughs> it's kind of sad what's happening to, to these kids here.
0: It is, and it hits really close to comb because April O'Neil's boss doesn't know that his son has already begun his path down towards the <laughs> Acolytes of the Foot, the foot Clan, mm-hmm. but we do because we see him, I think, steal a wallet Yeah, he's pretty the, early on. Yeah, he's he the one, the, isn't he? He steals the first one, yeah. yeah. So, okay, we're creating a familiarity with the characters that we know, and... I don't know if I really ever care that much about Danny, but oh, yeah. at least I'm familiar with him mm-hmm. to recognize that there's something at stake than just this nondescript screed urchin that has found some... Good point. Oh. Yeah, Danny
1: drives me pretty insane. I mean, Danny's almost like on a Franklin level of <laughs> irritation with me when I watch this film because he causes so much, so many problems <laughs> in, this, in this thing leading the foot back to them twice, uh, you know, kind of, you know, just ratting them out he sees the errors in his ways and he has some, he certainly has some growing up to do. And there's a moment later where he's talking with Splinter that really kind of hits me in kind of an odd way, but we'll, we'll get to that moment. But let's talk about the other, the other side of the coin, which is these turtles that have decided to make their emergence. Now it's now time they're ready to come do battle with what's going on up there. And, The original comic, I mean, they're pretty nondescript. It's all black and white. Um, When they did add some color, they all were kind of uniform. They uh, all wore the red sashes. So kind of really hard to tell them all apart, apart from their names. You know, Mm -hmm. all these uh, Spanish Renaissance, all these Renaissance painters. Mm -hmm. But the cartoon in 87 helped, you know, give them a personality, give them, you know, a color scheme. And then that was carried over to this film. Do you think the film handled that aspect well? Were you able to kind of... I know the names are always kind of are always difficult. Like which one's that again, but like personality wise, you're kind of able to tell which one is what,
0: which they do a really good job with Raphael. Mm -hmm. I think the Leonardo Donatello one gets a little bit messy. Um, Yes. And no Mm -hmm. There's Another huge piece though, Mm -hmm. that helps. And it's the identification of the sash over their eyes, but then it's also their choice of weapons. Mm hmm. So if there's a weapon that you particularly like in the world of martial arts, whether that be nunchucks or the size or a big sword or staff, I think you just naturally gravitate to the way that character uses it. And I think for most people, again, I'm not a Ninja Turtles guy, Mm -hmm. but I know you are a little bit. You said your favorite was Raphael. Oh, yeah. This is the most reluctant of the four. And I knew that even before I began to dive into that, just from the conversations that I've had with... (laughs) <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Nation, mm-hmm. that he's the one that would be the first maybe to go the other way and the one that's the most on the fringe as acceptance. But as I've come to under acceptance of role in this family, mm-hmm. he's also the youngest, I've not, if I'm not mistaken. I, I think that's right, yeah. So that gets to another really important point, and I know I'm talking here for a lot. And no, I'm going to get back to you just one a second. There's from Sam Rockwell's role in the street (laughs) urchins as he recruits these kids to join the Foot Clan. Sam who? Yes, Sam Rockwell. Probably pretty close to his first film. Yeah. To the hierarchy of Splinter and the Foot Clan down to the street level kid. And then also in the Turtles and their hierarchy itself. Mm -hmm. So what's important in this is recognizing what your role is And then making sure that there's enough room to celebrate it as we're watching. Mm -hmm. Here's the trick, though. When the turtles are on screen, they are so interesting to look at. Because this is Jim Henson Mm -hmm. at the height of his powers. The last of his powers. We'll talk about him a little bit. So we'll get to that in a minute. But they are such a large presence on the screen. Mm -hmm. And I got to tell you, it's got to be damn hard to fight in those suits. Oh, I can't imagine. Some of the things they did, these flips and then like, I can't imagine. And the skateboarding on them, like how did did they do that? There's literally no torso rotation, right? There's Mm -hmm. no rotary rotation around your axis because that shell on the front and the back is going to limit that. Mm -hmm. That's going to make the choreography of the fighting difficult. Mm -hmm. And I think... All of that together, they're interesting looking, you're trying to determine what weapon is that, which one did you like, what sash color is that, and I think the orange and the red are a bit of a mistake because they look very similar a lot of times on this. But all in all, you do walk away mostly knowing who they are and at least what weapon and violence they're capable of. That's good. How's that for an answer? No, that's
1: great. Uh, Donatello, the purple one, voiced by Corey Feldman in this thing, <laughs>
0: probably about his last
1: movie. <laughs> this is really licensed to drive. This is around that time, mm-hmm. post Lost Boys, but he's the one that kind of gets a little muddled in this film for me. I mean, he's always been kind of the tech guy, the brainiac, and we get a, a that's little, Donatello. Yeah, we get a little bit of that in this, but like not like enough to like really solidify that, but like. We know Michelangelo's the goof-off. We know Raphael's kind of those rogue, kind of standoffish, And Leonardo's this, like, pseudo-leader when Splinter's not in the room. So I get that really well. But I think... And they fixed that in the second movie. I think they realized they had... Donatello had some shortcomings. And he's kind of the conduit that the second movie's built around. They build him up a little bit more. But I think that's why Raph's always been my favorite is because he is such a central force in this one. I mean, being all the lessons Splinter's trying to give here about, you know, family and accept me. And, you know, I'm going to be gone one of these days and then you'll be on your own. He he doesn't want to listen to that. He kind of wants to go in his own way. I'm going out to a movie. Dad, okay with you. And, And he's kind of on his own path. And it's this unit doesn't work without him. You know what I mean? He can't do it himself and they can't do it without him. It's kind of a weird dynamic. It's family. One of the reasons I picked this film, Matt, uh, and it's because I know we like writing in this space and I know we like stories about it is this film is kind of all about family. When you kind of really think about it. I mean, we have this family with splinter and the turtles. This is kind of a pseudo science created family. Mm -hmm. There's the family between, uh, you know, Danny and his dad, which you kind of see the fractures there. And then you see the, the shredder and what he perceives as his family father to these lost boys. And then we even kind of get another jokey family once we get Casey Jones in the fray with April and then the turtles as like their children, so so to speak. So how does that work for you? I mean, it's it's such a simple concept to build something so outlandish around. Ninja Turtles, like my God, like it's so ridiculous at the end of the day. But I think they root this first film at least in some pretty nice themes about family and fatherhood, which is,
0: I think, pretty nice. It helps to ground a really wild idea, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, just the title alone speaks volumes about how far out of the norm it's this crazy. concept is, right? Is. Add to it the 80s slang with the tubular and cowabunga and mm-hmm. all of that. It's very, very busy with lots of periphery action that helps flesh out the interest level of the characters and makes them more than just, oh, look, talking turtles, Like mm-hmm. as if that wouldn't be enough. Mm-hmm. So if you take something as simple as what's your role in the family, I think that's a smart decision because then I don't have to shuffle through or sift through chapter upon exposition dump upon long, slow pan in to long, slow pan out of morose or something. I just get, Oh, the family's having a little squabble Mm -hmm. and that lets if you like the turtles, it lets that be celebrated because mm-hmm. nobody went to that film to see a great story about family. They already knew that was there if they're familiar with it, with you know mm-hmm. Splinter and the turtles. Yep, it's really easy to digest, and I think who this movie is built for mm-hmm. is a younger audience, yep. and they understand like oh, if I had a brother or a sister, or maybe we were in a bit of a tiff with mom and dad. All of that really works. So big, big outlandish concept, walking turtles that are engaged in some level of martial arts that is ninja-like and family. There's no way that works, but it does because mm-hmm. what it does.
1: It does. Yeah, we two hundred and thirty million will tell you it <laughs> yeah, did, two, right? Yeah, two hundred and thirty will tell you it did.
0: They've got the receipts.
1: I mean, I, they, they 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 handle it, you know, tactfully. They they build up some nice emotion and some character moments through these ideas. And for whatever reason, they can't figure out the Fantastic Four for God knows what reason. Mm. This film's mm. able to do that way easy
0: than they ever could. It's kind of this. You're right. It's sort of the same concept, mm-hmm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. Where it's the weapons replaced with a super ability. Yep. I have a Ninja Turtles question for you. Okay. I know Raph is your favorite, mm-hmm. but in terms of capability, physical prowess, acumen, fighting, can you give me a ranking of generally who's regarded as the most powerful to least? I'm thinking Donatello sounds like the, the least powerful, but you tell me if I'm wrong or not. I would want to say Michelangelo just based on,
1: what, on the weapon he has. Yeah, maybe Leonardo, Donatello, Raf, and then Michelangelo. But uh, that's kind of a weapon ranking too. I mean, they have long you know, far reaching weapons, bow staff and katana swords, and you get two of them. I mean, you can do some damage there. I mean, they have short range weapons. They gotta get in closer, but uh you know why I always pick Raph is like Raph is like the sunny Corleone of this family. I mean Mm. he's hothead, he's motormouth, uh even on the scene, we'll get to it because it's so traumatic. Uh, I mean, he's talking about like, hey, 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 expect to beat me if you're going to be pulling this stuff. And then like they like overpower him in numbers in that regard. Um, but that's probably the ranking I, w- I would give for, for that. Okay. I'm just curious. I don't know. So I'm just curious. In the game, Turtles in Time, I mean, they were all pretty evenly matched. So you could, you know, pick any one of them, you'd be all right. Mm. But I think maybe the moral of the game and I think the moral of this film, once we get to that moment I'm talking about is... It works best when you play with four players. Not Mm. when you play with one or two. Interesting. The game's easier with four. And much like this film, they really can't do it without a missing member, so to speak. Point taken. Excellent. Well, let's introduce another kind of fan favorite. This is Casey Jones.
2: It looks like you're the one who needs to be taught a lesson, pal. Class is paying 101. Your instructor's Casey Jones. Look, I don't want to fight you. Well, tough rocks, pal. A Jose can say, go back. Tell me, you didn't pay money for this. Ooh. I, 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 I hope not. Just <laughs> do one sale, pal. Hey, what are you, some sort of punker? Huh? God, I hate punkers. Especially bald ones with green makeup. We wear masks over ugly faces. Ooh. No better, strike
1: one. One thing I've always appreciated—we had a nice little chuckle about this while we were watching—is just the the naivete of New York citizen that here's a guy who looks like a human turtle in his, this trench coat, which is a terrible disguise, as he goes to see a movie, Critters. I thought that, that's pretty funny. Yeah, uh, and. No one bats an eye. No one cares because, man, New York, they see crazy stuff all the day. The best New York statistic that I can read or that I've, I've read is you're more likely to be bit by a homeless man in New York than you are a shark in the ocean.
0: That's hilarious. Yeah. Is that
1: right? <laughs> oh, my God. So then there's the the scene later where he hops over the, the, the taxi and he's like, look like sort of a green turtle in a trench coat. Anyway, you're going to LaGuardia, right? <laughs> like, it's no big deal for them. And that's just like, to the people of New York, you guys are awesome, but they have some fun with that. And playing with how outlandish this idea is, like, how are these turtles going to exist in public, which I think there's a yearning for them to do that. They imagine being cooped up in this bunker for 16 years, mm-hmm. and then finally they get some emergence on the real world, so to speak. I mean, that's, I think there's there's something to play with there as well. And important to remember that they are teenagers at the at the end of the day. I mean, they don't listen to Splinter's lesson. They goof off. They want pizza, this and that. They're kids at the end of the day. They're no older than 16
0: years old. You played some sound earlier, which is Splinter saying that. Mm-hmm. And then Raphael immediately leaves in this ridiculous costume, which is a trench coat and a hat, defying Splinter's orders. Yeah. Which then brings up the cause is that lack of adherence to wisdom and fatherhood what brings about his near demise on the rooftop? And then does that serve as a stark warning to the rest of the turtles? Absolutely. So let's get there. Mm-hmm. Take it. So Raphael's kind of good. De- he's obsessed with
1: getting his weapon back that was stolen by April in that first mugging there. Sigh, yes. Yeah. The, one of his sighs. And he's like, he's following her cause he's got to get it back. And, in doing a good D, he ultimately brings about this 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 element here.
2: We've been waiting for you, Miss O'Neer. What? Am
0: I behind on my Sony payments again?
2: <laughs> Your mouth may yet bring you much trouble, Miss O'Neer. I deliver a message. Ah! Shut it! right that's
1: it so in saving it first of all i mean jesus they just beat the hell out of april i mean i i gotta remind myself this is a a kid's movie right and there's like these that kid's smoking a cigar in, in Neverland over there, and this one's doing this, and these they're just beating the hell out of all these people. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that that was an issue when this film came out on like kind of on the the violence. I mean, you know, I mean, you want to take your little kids that watch the Saturday morning cartoon to see this, and there's some stuff in here that's a little like whoa, like when Shredder Shredder shows up in his in that kind of long rock walkway, and I'm like whoa, like this guy's kind of. A little scary. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. We'll get to him in a second, but Raf's good deed is the, ultimately the turtle and splinters kind of undoing here. I mean, he leads one of the foot to their Shantate, <laughs> their sewer Shantate, yeah. and they take, they take Splinter. So you're mm-hmm. right. I mean, not listening to father's wisdom and what he has to say. You, he, he says something to, you must exist in the shadows. You must exist, you know, you know, with invisibility. And he didn't do that in, in that regard. Did a good deed, saved April from getting destroyed by these by these Foot clan, but brought them to their to their home
0: too. You know what I really appreciate about this? The Shantate that the turtles live in is Batcave-like, mm-hmm. not with the technology, but hidden in recesses of water, that kind of deal. Every time I've watched a Batman film and we've got into big moments in the Batcave, I've always puzzled over. How does no one recognize the digital footprint or the amount of energy that this place is emitting? (laughs) Right? I know it's hidden by, you know, tricky water Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. a cave Mm -hmm. or whatever. But what I really appreciate about this is that is such a simple way. This Foot Clan soldier just follows Raf home. And look what happens. That is such a simple way. Are you trying to tell me the penguin... Could never figure that out.
1: Yeah, he couldn't.
0: <laughs> right, but it's handled in a smart, easy to show, easy to understand, and likely way that the bad guys would find where the where the good guys hideout is. Because you know where that happens all the times when people case places before they they burgle them. Yep. Sometimes the most simple solution is the easiest way to fix these huge problems, Zack Snyder, Mm. in movies. And I think this is such a clever way. We don't have to launch radar or detect this or any of that. We just follow Raphael home. Yeah. There you go. Very
1: simple, very simple. So, yeah, they they kidnap Splinter, and they're all pretty distraught about that. So now these boys have to grow up really quickly now. You know, what are they going to do? Luckily, April offers them some sanctuary in her antique. Now, do you remember like when in like antiques were like the thing? Oh yeah, so, like people were like, is that a, still a thing? Maybe not as much. Is right? that
0: Antiques Roadshow still on? I don't know, but yes, I do remember that. Uh, I went to so many antique stores with my mom, like just looking for. Sure, you were going to uncover the sixty thousand dollar thing that was hidden in that shelf, right? No, the one time I bought a Beetle Bailey comic book collection. <laughs> That's actually pretty cool. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, I probably still have it, but. I guess I'd rather be home watching the turtles or, or something. Yeah. But we get to finally meet, you know, we've kind of seen him in shadow. And anytime he shows up, I'm just like, oh, my gosh. But I've always been fascinated by the Shredder character. Great name, mm-hmm. great costume. And then, like, he's, like, leading these, like, ninja bandits. Like, he's, like, an interesting villain. I mean, like, in terms of comic dumb and cartoon villainy, I mean, he's definitely, like, up there, in terms of the interesting level,
2: only effort, discipline, loyalty earn the right to wear the dragon doji. You are here because the outside world rejects you. This is your family. I am your father. I want you all to become full members of the foot. There is a new enemy. Freaks of nature who interfere with our business. You are my eyes and ears. Find them. Together we will punish these. creatures. These. turtles. Master. <laughs>
1: Fucking Danny, man, mm-hmm. <laughs> he's ready to blow the lid. But Danny. I, I love his introduction. I mean, he comes in this like long. He's almost like a wrestler. Yeah. Oh, well said. <laughs> this long tunnel with the shadow and Matt's uh, Master Tatsu, uh, the bald one. You know, comes in the you know the honor. I mean, how much respect Shredder has? This guy, his his underling that could probably kick his ass. Mm-hmm. Like goes and undoes his like. Cape, cape sheath, and reveals you know these shredder blades on his shoulders, uh, and then they roll out a carpet for him so he can do this ceremony. So, and this scene speaks so much volumes to me because of everything we said. But you kids can have your fun out there and smoke your cigars and play cards and play Mortal Kombat out there. But when that gun goes off, you're mine, and this is what we're doing, and this is the mission at hand. And when you're old enough and you go through your rite of passage, whatever that is. You become a member of this, and then this is this now. Uh, pretty, pretty, pretty well done, I think. For <laughs> This movie doesn't have a lot of money. This looks great. I mean, Shredder looks good in this movie.
0: Think you told me thirteen million?
1: Yeah, uh, that that ain't shit. It's Nothing,
0: <laughs> especially with you know what the
1: type of movie they have
0: to make. I'd love to see how much the budget went to the costuming in this, because the turtles themselves, unless Jim Henson's just a really kind fellow, <laughs> ten million um, to the costumes yeah, alone. I mean, maybe. Okay, so because Sam Rockwell wasn't really expensive in those days, I don't think he's expensive today either. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's true. Probably a pretty cheap get. All right, so here's something I think that everybody should consider with Shredder. If he is running a fencing operation from what children are stealing on the streets, two things are happening. Number one, he's creating a Pied Piper-like effect with the most vulnerable and innocent. So the mm-hmm. corruption of them to raise them, back to your family idea, hmm to raise them in the traditions of our family, which are theft. Secondarily, if he's running a fencing operation with Sanyo <laughs> TVs and a box of Pop-Tarts, yeah. I think that's one of the things that they've stolen. that probably there. is. He's willing to take anything to either establish an empire or an estate with all of the necessary components so they don't have to leave or He's going to sell anything and everything to get enough money. And most crime empires are at a place where they're trying to get a lot of money Mm -hmm. because they are not entirely established yet. Yeah. So as the turtles are finding their footing, literally. Shredder's finding his. Quite frankly, with the Foot Clan, right? So that's a bit punny, and I'm kind of being funny, but I'm also not because I think you're getting a really young version of shredder in so far as his endeavors to make a larger crime empire in new york city well said i mean and also does this
1: because the ninja turtle stuff in the comics and especially that cartoon it gets fantastical quick Mm -hmm. and dimension x and krang and baxter stockman the human fly guy like bebop and rocksteady i mean it gets crazy this is pretty realistic. I mean, this yeah. seems like an operation that's probably going on in New York right now. Right. Does that work for you for the type of the tone of the film, so to speak? Yeah. I mean, the only thing fantastical about it is the turtles and Splinter, but like this operation seems just so rooted in things that really happen that it's it's almost a little more terrifying than bringing Krangin from Dimension X.
0: I feel yeah, right. Well yeah. said. Yeah. I feel like that entirely too frequently lately we've been having the conversation about this character is way out of the realm of possibility of being brought down by this other character. Mm-hmm. Essentially what the Ninja Turtles are, are just really good at hand-to-hand combat. Trying to take on an intergalactic presence with hand-to-hand combat yeah. is silly. Very silly. And this movie can't have much more silly. And we don't have money for much more silly. Do you right? right. Yeah, exactly. It's boor- it's already dancing on the line of this is almost a little too silly to. It's not, mm-hmm. but there's moments yeah. like it's. I love being a turtle. Like I was like ready to like yeah. jump out the but window. That's for the kids. I mean, I, I think know.
1: those moments are in there to remind us, hey, this is still a kids' movie, but we're beating the shit out of Splinter, but you when you're not looking, I mean,
0: and that's fair. There's such a balance in this this first film, right? So. Batman, for all of the conversations we've had about trying to take down intergalactic baddie, whether it's Doomsday mm-hmm. or whomever, like the Joker's kind of your speed. Yeah. Shredder at this point, running this fencing operation, I assume, I don't know why they're other than maybe getting a bunch of supplies, resources so that he can build his empire. It's like, well, that's his in a castle. Oh,
1: that's a type of like a, it's like a black
0: market economy that he could right. be churning out in there. Based on some concepts that Stromboli seduced the kids in, in Pinocchio. Mhm. <laughs> Cigars I'm glad and video games. You said, said rumble. It's exactly what that is. Yeah, yeah. Cigars and video games and lots of soda and candy. Mm-hmm. All of that is in the right standard deviation for what this equation should be. Mm-hmm. I can punch you about as hard as you can punch me, but I have three brothers also, and you've got nobody. Because what's going to be the tradition for us? Mm-hmm. Is honor and family. Yeah. And what's the tradition for you is theft and debauchery. Dishonor. Dishonor. We
1: we see that in the the final his ultimate demise too on how he's willing to pull a fast one. You said it. I want to ask you something. I don't think the film ever explicitly gives us an answer to this, but Shredder wants an answer to this turtle problem. Do you is there any inkling in anything maybe in the final scene? He, he almost feels like he's going a little easy on them. Mm. That he kind of wants, I've gotten your father out of the way. Why don't you come over to my side? Because imagine what allies they would be for the foot versus being barriers for him in his plan. Yeah, I didn't even consider that till right now. Mm. Absolutely. You're spot on. It seems like that'd be a pretty good good idea. I mean, they're obviously masters in his own ways. We'll find out why later. But that seems to maybe be an ulterior motive for him to just vanquish them completely.
0: Sam Rockwell might grow up to be, what's his assistant's name? Um, Shredder's assistant. Oh, Tatsu. Sam Rockwell might grow up to be Tatsu at some point, but Raphael, Donatello, Michelangelo, and Leonardo are them right now. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's get this thing going. We get five of them, yeah. So, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Maybe I can just get you to come over instead of having to kill you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Well said. Well, easy lying to them at the end. We'll get there. But let's get to the moment. -hmm. This is a big
1: moment for me, Matt. Yeah. Uh, So they're hanging at April's pad, and, you know, Danny, stupid Danny, led them there. So the foot's on their way.
0: Danny is April's boss's son, by the way. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Just stinking up
1: (laughs) all these scenarios for them. He sucks. He does suck. Uh, So Raph's doing some just burning off some because he just had a blow up with his brothers downstairs and he's blowing off some steam up there and he just gets bombarded by all these foot clan now. Matt, we've talked off mic about there's something about being an impressionable lad mm-hmm. five or six years old. I can't remember the first time I saw this, this film, it was definitely, you know, on VHS, it was a rental and seeing some of your most beloved characters that you just idolize, you know, get the ever living crap kicked out of them. I three examples, this film ref against the foot clan, Johnny five in short circuit Two, <laughs> captain Quint. Yeah. And, uh, Clark Kent in Superman two in the diner. I mean, there's oh, yeah. three Ooh, good, good ones. Just beat up scenes that really bothered me deeply. Like uh, you don't want to see, cause your, your heroes, you like you idolize them and you want to see them vanquish evil at the end of the day. And mm-hmm. maybe this is a testament to those films. Or maybe not short circuit two, but it, there's a testament to uh, humanizing your heroes and saying you can't win them all. And maybe that's this lesson here. And maybe that was the lesson that I needed to get through as awful as it was for me to see that, uh, you know, they are not always going to win. I mean, they're going to be dealt some blows. I'm just, I didn't want it to be so brutal for him because they hand it to him and then they throw him through the window, like into the antique store. Goodness.
0: <laughs> yeah. They mess him up bad. Mm-hmm. He's by himself. And again, kind of defying the orders that splinter has given them. And he should have learned the lesson already Because Splinter's not around to remind him of those rules due to Raphael's lack of adherence to the first rule exist in the shadows. Mm -hmm. So up up on the balcony, besieged by these Foot Clan, pummeled, I mean pummeled, and then pitched through the skylight or window or whatever that is. And then the Foot Clan descend into April's apartment, Mm -hmm. which is on top of the antique store, so you have some nice apparatus that you can fight with, and and they mostly fend them off. Three on many. But you know what really struck me about all that? Mm. They don't have a bed to put Raphael in. They have to freaking put him in a bathtub. Oh, yeah. Way at the farm. They let him heal in a bathtub at a farm. Mm-hmm. So there's nowhere else for them to go. April O'Neill's place is in tatters. There's nothing left. It's barely st- structurally sound. Mm-hmm. Provides no security. Yeah. So they flee to a farm, and he gets to rest in a bathtub. And I thought about that for a minute. Is Mm -hmm. it? Okay, well, maybe the water with the turtle, and that'll like like speed the healing properties. And in fact, there is a little bit of water in there because you see April kind of like trickle some on his back. But I think it's just because that's the closest thing they have to a bed to put him in. Mm -hmm. All of that is really working because you're recognizing that the turtles have quite a formidable task ahead of them and a formidable opponent. Yeah. And if that did that to you at six, you saw when you were six Mm -hmm. and affected you that way, then good for the writers because what they made you think for a moment is Mm -hmm. man, these guys may not make it. Yeah. And most times in film, you and I know, and pretty much anybody that watches film, this is not a you and me thing. This Mm -hmm. is anyone who's ever seen a movie. Yeah. Occasionally John Wayne breaks the rule. Sure. Sure that that person's not going to die mm-hmm. or at least not in this film.
1: I'm glad you uh, really like the this scene this kind of I've always really liked in film the kind of delta heavy blow and then we start act 3 kind of licking our wounds. Yeah. Uh this is Rocky 3 going to LA to like learn under Apollo. I mean we got to reform how we originally thought this and get stronger and get smarter about it and then we'll come back at it again. Post blip. Yep, yeah, exactly. It, that's exactly what that is. As a kid, this was my least favorite scene because the, it slows down a bit, and I want to see more turtle action. You know, mm-hmm. little six-year-old me. But I think this scene's really important. I mean, it, 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 we get to kind of see the what type of familial dynamic they're creating in Splinter's absence. Uh, Leonardo, the ever watchful leader, doesn't leave that doorway where Raphael's in the in there. We see Donatello's, you know, ingenuities fixing the van and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Michelangelo just being a goof and whatnot. And not until they're back together do we finally get to see uh, see it come full circle. I mean, they're able to kind of, I think, realize we have to do this together. There's a reason we lost back and we didn't have you, Raph. They even say that in the fight scene. It's like, I wish we sure had Raph right about now. I mean, it shows. But there's a moment too uh, so Danny is having a change of heart in the middle of all this goes and visits splinter and he's like hey you are real you can talk what's going on and splinters just bleeding and pussing all over the place yeah that rat has seen better days and I think just shredders just going and just beating him and he's like he's like, he's like what are you doing here you will just sit here and die and like he wants info from him and he's like he's like waterboarding splinter here mm-hmm. but there's such a line that's said here and you know it's a kids movie and whatnot but he's like Danny like what do you hear you don't have a parent you can go to he's like I have my dad but he doesn't care about me and Splinter says because he wishes he could tell his kids Mm -hmm. this he's like all fathers care about their sons like that's pretty powerful it's coming from an animatronic rat over there (laughs) but it's, it's I think it's a big moment not only for Danny which we don't really care about but it's it just I think it just echoes throughout this this film I mean Shredder doesn't care about his children they're just pawns in his game but it's what Splinter really wants to say to his and if you're alive out there, you know, I hope you're able to, to say that. I mean, it's, it's, it's a
0: powerful father moment. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The base level foundation of splinter is love where with shredder, <laughs> it's destruction and strict obedience. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to emphasize to anybody that's not familiar with the characters in this film. Mm-hmm. This is the way to go. And for it to work in a family, everybody needs to offer a little bit of forgiveness once in a while because everyone makes mistakes. And I'm not sure Shredder is going to give you that out, Danny. No. Your dad doesn't hate, right? All, everything you just said, I'm, I'm just piggybacking on what you just said. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We're continuing. I think that's really crazy, and you said it so well just now. Yeah. An animatronic rot, rat is teaching... This displaced kid because he feels like his dad is just too busy at work. And what kid hasn't thought that about their dad? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. From time to time, Mm -hmm. we all have probably had that. Mm -hmm. Maybe your dad, well, you might have given him a bad rap. Are you sure? Because I'm telling you because I am one. And then what's really powerful about that is Danny should be like, Dad, Mm -hmm. to some turtles, you're a fucking rat. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But he doesn't. Mm -hmm. And it's simple, and it's handled in a very kid-friendly way, but poignant if you want it. So, I mean, are we getting to the point now in this film where we're recognizing, <laughs> like in some of that Pixar stuff, those conversations we've had, yeah. that there's something in there that is kid stuff yeah, and enough that maybe isn't to keep the adults entertained? Absolutely. Enough to want to take them? Yeah, no, well, like well, You might be right. When we
1: did that first Godzilla film, I appreciated the authenticity to be dark with it, to be bleak, to treat it seriously. I mean, he's a walking lizard at the end of the day, but that first film is just, they believe in that. They believe in the world that they're creating and they treat it seriously. And I feel like they did that with this first film. I mean, with the title like Ninja Turtles, as real, they, they treat it as serious as they possibly can uh, in these moments. And even the family dynamic, we even see after this failed uh, coup to get the turtles at the antique store and Shredder's Furious. We see the family crumble. I mean, Tatsu goes and just starts laying waste to the foot. I mean, he just starts wrecking the room and being like, this is dad coming home and dinner wasn't ready on time. He starts beating the family. Right. So, yeah, there's there's some really crazy stuff going on here. I think it's time now, though, to talk about, you know, the elephant in the room okay. or the puppet in the room. Jim Henson. I mean, we haven't talked about him not once on Rice Smile Films before, and mm. maybe we'll do the Muppet movie one of these days or whatever. But I asked Dark you, Crystal. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> maybe not. I don't know. The
0: Skeksis. Uh,
1: uh, very important uh, person in, in film. I mean, it's not entirely animation, but puppetry is kind of a interesting art in and of itself. I mean, even kind of taking that to Star Wars and like stuff with Yoda and all those puppets that Lucas had in there with Frank Oz. Uh, I asked you if you kind of grew up with the Muppets, because that was something I, I watched Sesame Street, but like not like the Muppet Show. That was like you know uh, a, di- a different time, but you kind of grew up with that,
0: so that was kind of a big deal for you. Huge deal. Yeah. Sunday night was Muppet Show night, and I loved it. And most of the time, I didn't know who those stars were. There's a couple of I think very telling moments that make Jim Henson a good choice for this. The obvious reason is he's good with puppetry. And the turtles look great, and he's he's good in that space, so that makes sense. One of the most interesting, and I've just come upon it again recently now that it's available for streaming. Mm. I went back and watched most of the Muppet show again, mm. not from beginning to end, but the parts that yeah. uh, were, like not fast, like the performance parts. Mm-hmm. Raquel Welsh in some cavewoman-like outfit, Dancing one million years BC, <laughs> yeah, with a large spider in a dinosaur backdrop. What is that?
1: Well, you sent me one of Buddy Rich and a drum off with animal. <laughs> okay, that's the second one, and that's awesome. That's wild, like how they were able to just put that together. And
0: Buddy, Buddy Rich was an asshole I, to work uh, with. How did he agree to that? I don't know. He I mean, must have been a trip back backstage. <laughs> and then the third one mm-hmm. that. The Buddy Rich performance, which I believe is the last Muppet show. I think that's mm-hmm. the last one they ever did. Okay. <laughs> is the Leo Sayer the show must go on?
1: Oh, that is what so... What an interesting guest, first of all. <laughs> yeah.
0: I like Leo Sayer, actually. Interesting voice.
1: Um, very. Mm-hmm.
0: But this is this mime where he shows up and starts dancing with himself, and <sighs> it is so weird. Okay, so what does all this mean? I think that sometimes creativity is an expression of weirdness and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And look, man, the turtles are weird. That's a weird concept. And I don't mean Dr. Seuss weird, which is just kind of what I think terrible art and a bunch of like stupid rhyming words that he made up that don't make any sense. Like I'm not a big Dr. Seuss fan and I know people are going to, what it's I've never been, I never (laughs) have my whole life, but Jim Henson to his own found a way to take these really obscure moments and celebrate the awkward weirdness of them. Mm-hmm. And he is such, there's other There's other people they could have chosen for this. Mm-hmm. Does such a good job of using that to take this film to what TMNT should be, which is just strangely, weirdly awkward. I'd buy, it. absolutely. Tell me what you like
1: about it. Well, I think if he's not involved, I think this movie is a complete disaster because they, since they are featured prominently and like, not like there's day scenes. I mean, there's scenes where we have to show these turtles in like bright sunlight, mm-hmm. like we, we, they got to look good. And for 1990 for $13 million, I mean, think of this, Matt, think of all the logistics that had to go into this. I mean, they had to put people in the suits with an animatronic head. They had to make the suit look good. They had to be able to fight in it. And then you had good guys off sc- off screen that were controlling the facial muscles with remote control.
0: That's crazy. <sighs>
1: how, do you, how do you even put it? And then after the fact, you go put voices to sync up with that. Corey Feldman being one of them. Like, oh my God. For a uh, low budget film? And I'm calling it low budget. I mean, because
0: it's Golden Harvest. They made Kung Fu movies in the 80s. That's crazy. Absolutely crazy. A real body in there mm-hmm. with a mask that's working and voiceover actors on the mic once that's all finished. Mm-hmm. with We've already talked about it, limited movement, because the shells on the turtles are hard to move in.
1: They had to have some form of dialogue, and it might have been off screen or the director was doing it because the guys doing the remote controls had to create the facial thing, so it sounded like they were saying that. <sighs> that's right. Now you just point and click on a computer and it's done. I mean, there's a certain kind of craft that went into this particular film, and Henson said this is the most complex thing i ever worked on.
0: Jack Pierce, you thought putting Boris Karloff in the monster makeup was a long time. Meet Jim Henson and mm, the Turtles mm-hmm. for pennies—thirteen mm-hmm. million. We kind of joked was six spent, maybe more, just on the technical pieces that Henson had to do. I want to see the books, Matt. I do too, actually. <laughs> I
1: want to see those those sheets. Mm-hmm. But I think we got to celebrate. I mean, Henson has his place in film history and television history with all the creations that he made and the puppetry and everything. But pretty good swan song for him too i mean i mean he was dying he died of cancer right mm-hmm. uh this was he died like two months like after the premiere of, of this of this film it's a pretty good project for him to go out on i mean he they look good i mean it's 1990 obviously that's 30 years i mean this movie's older than me man. Mm-hmm. uh it still looks decent you know what i mean yeah
0: like i mean it's guys in suits but like it still looks good you bring it up all the time mm-hmm. which is the trouble with CGI on on screen and how it looks, and for me it always comes down to one thing, and it's volume. It's the actual mass. I can't feel it, but I can sure see it. By putting them in the suits, instead of just animating it through CGI, the turtles have mass, and it makes the movements more believable, and it the buy-in is better. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that it was easy. No. And it also helps to explain why some of the fight sequences are kind of snappy dialogue one-liners between the turtles instead of fighting because there's only so far you can go with that. No. It still works, and the turtles are still featured. But moving and get the facial movements and get getting all of that to line up in a rough-and-tumble rolling action bit on screen in real time Man, let's just raise it up to the mastery of being able to pull that off in any manner mm-hmm. is truly impressive.
1: Excellent. So let's catch up here at the end. Danny leads them back to the to the lair, the foot back to the lair when the turtles return from the farm. But they're ready this time. I mean, they're a full force of four this time. And, you know, they give the foot hell. I mean, in the sewers, up the ladder, the scaffolding, onto the roof. And this rooftop battle is actually from those very early iterations of the comics and you know finally we've dispatched these disposable foot i mean in the, so it goes as far as in the cartoon at one point they were like robots they were so disposable the mm-hmm. foot became robots mm-hmm. but they come face to face with it now
2: oh no more Does anybody have any idea about who or what this is? I don't know. But I'll better never ask to look for a can opener. <laughs> you fight well, in the old style. But you've caused me enough trouble. Now you face the shredder. The shredder? <laughs> uh maybe all that hardware's for making coleslaw. I got him
1: and like once we see him in action now this is like the first time we got to see the shredder fight too like he's like the expert of like the dragon doji or like whatever whatever his clan is called and that's what made me think i was like he's kind of just like playing around with these guys right now i don't think he wants to kill him because like why would you want to kill that when that could be on your side so to speak I don't think I don't, they might not be the answer, but I'm just, I'm just maybe reading into that, but, uh,
0: pretty fore- logically that makes perfect sense. I and it, it.
1: that does make sense, but pretty formidable opponent for them. And I like it, you know, that we don't have any other mutated creatures showing up. And like you said, it doesn't get fantastic. We're just fighting on a rooftop. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's kind of enough, but let's talk about something. <laughs> you made some interesting comments, but once uh, splinter gets back in the fold and he's rescued by Casey Jones, uh, and then he shows up on the on the roof here uh, to save the day when all hope seems lost, and we get this.
2: Fools, <laughs> the three of you might have overpowered me with the loss of but one. Now your fate will be his. No. <laughs> Splinter. Oh. Uh. Yes. Uwokusaki, I know who you are. We met many years ago in the home of my master, Omato Yoshi. It's him. Began with your ear.
1: So we get in this backstory to that splinter, uh, as a small, tiny rat back in Japan, kind of lost his own family as well. I mean, his master that he he learned this art of, of ninja through him was killed by this very man here. That this kind of this this rogue, this rogue, uh, you know, sensei, so to speak. Mm-hmm. That, you know, killed him, killed his wife because you took my woman and, you know, tried to kill Splinter. I mean, you didn't really think in that moment, oh, I better kill this rat because he's going to come back and get me one of these days. But even Splinter's roots, as ridiculous as, you know, him doing Kung Fu in that cage... <laughs> his roots are based in, you know, the same theme we keep talking about it and this family dynamic. I mean, he's a pet for them, but like even he lost and he even says, and then I was alone after that. I had, I had nothing after what, what he took from me. So, uh, what, what do you think about all that? You know, is
0: as, as preposterous as, as that is, but <laughs> this is the film we're talking about it speaks to abandonment. So splinters had his caretaker and his caretaker's woman, as you said, killed by, the loser in that love triangle. We'll get to that. I'm sure a little bit later. Cause, um, it's going to be one of the que- answers to one of the questions you asked me is what's your, Oh my God moment. Mm-hmm. It's that flashback moment, but <laughs> it's, it shouldn't work. This rat that's tiny, that's practicing Kung Kung Fu. Cause he watches his master do it and then gets oozed and grows in like none of that works. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't, but if you can get past how fantastic that is to this idea of revenge or wanting to do better or making up for what was taken from you through no fault of your own, then it plays right into what this whole film has been about. These turtles that were pitched in the sewer that he takes under his wing, these lost children that Splinter takes under his wing. um, It all fits in this dynamic of what. Is your family based on, and again, we've talked about it already, so I don't need to go over it. Mm -hmm. Splinter's family is stronger than Shredder's at its core. So on that rooftop, when he says, I remember you when you cut off my ear. It's the completing of the circle of putting all the pieces back together. And I want to say one more thing, and then I'll let you have it. Mm -hmm. Splinter's on that roof by himself. I'm sorry. Shredder's on that roof by himself. Yeah. That's not done on accident. There's no reason there shouldn't be a couple foot clan soldiers up there with him. Mm -hmm. He's by himself. Well, they've all abandoned him at this point now. There you go. Yeah.
1: It's a great demise for him. You know, as he tries to pull a fast one, it's the dishonor aspect of him, you know, trying to pull just a knife from his sheath behind him falls to his demise into a garbage truck. And if that weren't enough to like give you a head injury, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Casey Jones puts on the compactor and crushes him into... A nothing. Now he does come back in the sequel, but like that, like how do you come back from that? I mean, you're 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 toast. Toast. Yeah, you'd be just like one one inch, uh, just like a paper cut out of you if
0: if you were to come back for a sequel. But I was pretty surprised that Casey Jones lowers the compacting unit. Were you? That. Yeah. I'd, yeah. But,
1: that's pretty dark. Just squished him. <laughs> it's pretty dark. And, so-
0: and rather celebratory when he does it, kind of crushes no, his no. arms over his chest and smirks and leaned back like, gotcha. No, well, how he does it is he falls in and
1: he just goes, oops, and then hits it with, the, like, the, the turns it on and just crushes him. Yeah, and you're right. He's just like, yeah, okay, we took care of that. Wow.
0: All right, well. Bad Guys Defeated. Again,
1: I, I like it. I'm like, I always remind, I was like, is this, a, is this a movie for kids? I mean, like, there's like just things in here that are just like, they just go a little far this way. And it's like not a kid's movie. Like, oh, to be just like, see this in the theater when it came out. Like, how would you freak out? It's Tyler Durden splicing stuff into this movie. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know celebratory we arrest the foot they're going to go investigate that lands casey and april i guess are going to end up to are going to end up together and the turtles reunited with that i mean it's a, it's a nice moment there and you know was, we've been waiting for it you know one of the catchphrases of the turtles is cowabunga dude and this and that and i love that it's splinter that gives it to them i mean it's just he's able to have a little fun with his sons his teenage sons yeah. This kind of this rat that's so Miyagi-like in his teachings of this and that, uh, is able to have a little fun with them. And then the movie ends and to, uh, to the credit of you know, like I said, 13 million, um 13.5 million dollar budget that, like that's that's nothing, nothing. I told you a uh, couple weeks back that Mel Gibson's salary on The Patriot was 25 million dollars. <laughs> Like that's more than the budget of this film to pay twice one actor. Right. So at the end of the day, it was, hang on. I got my notes here. $202 million gross worldwide. It became the highest grossing independent film of all time until the Blair Witch Project came out. <laughs> Take that to the bank. Sure. Now we got to talk about one more thing and then I have a couple questions for you. So, Turtles, that's a hot IP in the late 80s. I mean, between the comic book and then the cartoon, you would think studios would be chomping at the bit to make this film. But there's an interesting thing in the credits where, you know, it, it was like a licensing company that got a hold of the IP and then Golden Harvest got a hold of that and then made this movie with not the appropriate budget to make this movie. You know what I mean? So that's, I think, why the budget's so low. And then so after the fact, okay, now it needs to get into the theaters. And I guess maybe this is a part of movie making that people don't get. Even if you are an independent movie, there's often a lot of big studio backing to get your film into theaters. I mean, you have to pay for that. It's not free. So Warner Brothers, Disney, Universal, Paramount, every studio turned this project down and... Man, we got to raise one up to Robert Shea at New Line Cinema, who the house that Freddie built took a chance on that idea, took a chance on this and took a chance later. And we'll talk about that another day. Lord of the Rings, when no one, when all the studios shut out all those projects. Ridiculous. This guy always is like, yeah, I'll give you a shot. And this guy, like, he just like reaps the rewards of it because I don't know if he just like sees the potential of it or just understands, you know, the type of products coming his way. But he's always been the yes man when everyone else says no. And I don't know how integral he is into the business anymore because New Line got bought out by Warner Brothers. Mm. And he might be just kind of retired at this point. But, man, if you ever got said no in Hollywood,
0: go to Robert Shea and he might give you a yes. <laughs> it, this was not an unknown property either. Own- I get maybe a spec idea we're not doing that. Mm-hmm. And this had six to seven years of comic books behind it and a full run in syndication on cartoons. <sighs> I don't know if it's just the pig-headed nature of the studio executive and maybe we're at a place where we had just seen the downfall of anything closely related to superheroes well, they because were, of Batman. <laughs> well, the the project that they were comparing this to that they were afraid of
1: Saturday morning cartoons. It was Masters of the Universe with Dolph Lundgren and they didn't want it they didn't want it to be that.
0: Yeah, and that's, that's a, a pretty bad movie. <laughs> that's a whole other story too and I don't really know how that missed either cuz that Franchise and toys and everything was just as popular as the Ninja Turtles were in its own right. You think Dolph's a good casting for He-Man? Yeah, he looks like He-Man.
1: Yeah. Frank Langella looks pretty good as Skeletor too. Yeah. Maybe we'll talk about that because that that
0: movie has a crazy... Because that's canon films and oh my God, mm-hmm. that's, all, that's a saga. <laughs> so maybe that scared him away, but good for New Line because they took a chance and boy, it paid off in a huge yeah, the, way. Uh, the
1: ROI on that must have been like... Funded 2000 films of theirs for like five years, probably yeah. off of one movie. Yeah, so excellent. That's what's a let me just big cha-ching on that one. Yeah, big cha-ching. Uh, let me see. There's a two more sequels after this live action. Uh, they really fair in comparison to this. This first one, they get a lot more goofy. Uh, and then the two reboot films that Michael Bay did, uh, or uh, Platinum Dunes did his company. Oh, let's see. What's your favorite tasting note of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the 1990 movie?
0: I think Shredder's pitch as the Pied Piper to the children on Come Join My Family is pretty compelling. And there's a lot of villainy that we have roundly destroyed that could have gone to school on the simplicity of Here's what I'm offering you. It's short. It's maybe 90 seconds. It's delivered strong. And you get exactly what the goal that he's trying to accomplish is. And that's been a big deal for me. And like the last couple weeks, that's been a big deal for me. So mm-hmm. I think I'm going to go with that. There's other ones, but I'm going to go with that. I think it's just really well done. Good choice.
1: Cause it's also mine. Oh snap. And really? What I
0: like about it though, is how serious they treat it.
1: I mean, as whimsical and as goofy as the turtles are being in all their scenes and Michelangelo's doing mm-hmm. all his shit They cut to that and I'm like, whoa, like that's what they're up against. Like this guy's like means business and he looks scary. Look at his costume. He's got razor blades everywhere Mm -hmm. and his entrance. Like, I mean, like if there wasn't an ego on this guy already, the entrance speaks to it. So that's my choice. Share the same one. My ultimate kind of downfall of the second one is that Shredder isn't nearly as intimidating. Um, And maybe just everything's just brighter in that movie compared to this one. There's a lot of darkness in this, just at night Mm -hmm. in the
0: shadows. But what's your...
2: Oh my God!
0: You mentioned it. Go ahead. I'm not even sure how I feel about it. Mm. I can't tell you that I like it or dislike it. It's so weird. It's that flashback scene when we're watching Splinter's point of view as the rat just escaped from the cage... After Shredder has destroyed whatever his caretaker's name is, I don't even, I don't even pretend I remember.
1: Rokusaki. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh no no no! Humato Yoshi. <laughs> okay, yeah, okay. that's that's the guy. Yeah, Yoshi. Yeah, yeah there Rokusaki you go. Rokusaki.
1: Yeah, is Shredder.
0: It's that's so weird. Mm-hmm. And then the takeaway that he has to deal with is his little rat ear gets lopped off. Mm-hmm. Not that that's not a that's a big deal, I guess. Yeah. Man, that's a lot that in and of itself is so crazy. And that's just the beginning of crazy with what comes to um Splinter as we move through the four. I that's it for me. Good choice. Yours?
1: Well, it's my raft getting beat on the roof. I mean, yeah. it was it's a moment that like even now when we just watched it, Matt, you know, I'm 32 years old. Uh it still kind of bothers me a little bit. You know what I mean? Like I dread that when it comes, when it shows up, and I'm like, oh man, like I wish he'd like. Wish he had someone up there with him to help him out and never. No, he always gets it handed to him every time. So it's it's for a moment that's just like burned in my retinas like that has to be the oh my God moment. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh,
0: who's the master distiller on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? We probably have the same one here, don't we? It's Jim Henson. Obviously, this movie doesn't work without him. It's a good master distiller.
1: So there you go. I mean, the movie's called Ninja, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They got to look good. They got to be able to move the fight scene. I mean, it's it's practically a kung fu movie, too. Mm-hmm. So that has to work. The comedy's got to kind of work with like their interplay. They have to have some personality. These guys have to act to their I mean, that's just like, there's so many things that have to go into making that work, but it all starts with the suits. Yep. And yeah, for that to be his kind of like last project that his... Um, that he supervised and his studio worked on. They still make stuff and they, they're still very much involved with things. Kudos. Great job. How are you going to rate and grade
0: Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? We have Rocket, Well Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf. Uh, we've spoken pretty highly about the film. Um, that being said, this is, it's been an interesting rewatch. Honestly, if I ever saw the whole, film through it its entirety i couldn't tell you this it's it's just really quality call it's just this is a a very quality call it's it's entertaining i probably don't need to rush back to it anytime soon but for the purposes of being popcorn fodder in the summer and entertaining and fun it checks all those boxes this is a call movie for me
1: excellent how about you
0: clock in at a single barrel minus I think this is a fairly unique
1: film, not only because, you know, when we get comic book adaptations, it's, especially at this time, I mean, it was DC Mm -hmm. and DC. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there was the Dolph Lundgren, man, he's coming up a lot, Mm -hmm. uh, Punisher film that he did, which isn't great. Mm -hmm. And the... Matt Solinger, Captain America. That's just as bad. Yeah. <laughs> so Marvel didn't even know what they were doing. And so they weren't really adapting a lot of these properties other than like this one at the, like the height of this thing's popularity. And that's funny to say, because it's still happening today. Like mm-hmm. there's things there's like, he man died out. Uh, G.I. Joe died out. Uh, Pokemon, I thought, died out until its resurgence a few years back, but it I don't think the Turtles have like ever like gone dormant. I mean, they've always been relevant and consistent. And to me, this is I my favorite iteration of them. It's this film. You can't make there's I don't know how they made this movie for thirteen million dollars. Like how? I
0: I wanna see I wanna see the books. <laughs> it had to have been a lot of grace and a lot of do it because I love it on Jim Henson's point of view. Mm-hmm. That's the only way this gets done.
1: Yeah. I think the actors, Elias Cotes, who's just like almost Claude Rainsy in, in his own right. Uh, I think the actors that are in this thing, I mean, I think that they're selling it. You know what I mean? Like they're selling this universe that they're making and like it's not, they're not treating it as like just pure fantasy. Like they're really thoroughly engaged in what they're doing. So yeah, Single Barrel Minus. It's the best Turtles movie. It's, it's a, one of my favorites from my adolescence and. Kudos to you, New Line. You reap the uh, rewards of that ROI
0: on this film. So yeah. summer box office hall of fame, indeed. Thirteen million dollars isn't really much of a risk at all. If you want to be honest about no, it, it's not. I you mean, should have de- there's a lot of people that should have said yes to that.
1: And if Disney did it, then Disney would have the turtles in their arsenal on top of everything
0: else. How about that, <laughs> I,
1: that one's crazy. No or kidding. Warner Brother, well, Warner Brothers does have it now, and they don't know what the hell they're doing anymore.
0: But imagine that. <laughs> them wrecking another established franchise that's so weird i can't Uh, believe that they did that goodness well
1: x oh wait i would be remiss and i would be doing uh at least myself and i know the people that enjoy this film a disservice if i didn't play this little clip right now
2: hey ref where are you going out to a movie that okay with you
1: It's my most quoted line of this entire thing. I like, if me and my friends bring up this movie. It's the first thing I say, Dad, okay with you? Mm -hmm. (laughs) This thick Brooklyn accent. I love it. Heavy. So much. But let's wrap this thing up with a nightcap. Okay, Matt. So there's an argument to be made that the most popular iteration of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was the 1987 television series that ran for, I think, about eight years into the way into the early 90s. So Saturday morning cartoons, coming home from school and watching cartoons. I mean, it's a part of every child's adolescence. I mean, you always have your your stockpile there. So this is just pure fantasy draft speculation. Give me your ultimate top three
0: Saturday morning cartoon lineup. 90 minutes of bliss. There you go. With a big bowl of Cocoa Puffs. There you go. Frosted Flakes for me. Ooh, Sounds good. Fruity Pebbles sometimes too. Mm -hmm. All right. We're going to kick it off. I got to tell you just. (laughs) Okay, go ahead. Yeah. In middle school, this was, this
1: was a weird day. I mean, it was like a pitcher day, so we didn't really do class, and the teacher left, so it was kind of like a kangaroo court class situation. <laughs> yeah. And we got into this crazy debate on fruity pebbles versus cocoa pebbles, and we took votes and we took polls because I was pro fruity, yeah. And everyone, like my other guy, my friend Josh, was pro cocoa, and I was like, dude, you're insane! Like, dude, like don't you want, like the fruity goodness of that? <laughs> anyway, did you win? No, I think I lost. Like, what is There's a bunch of insane people in this
0: class. Putting that on the court of trial and public opinion. Why did the teacher leave? (laughs) Were you a sixth grader? I think it was an eighth grade. Oh, man. What a bad decision. Yeah, asking for trouble. 90 90 minutes. Anyway, go ahead, Matt. (laughs) Kicking it off with the Herculoids. Immediately followed up by Challenge of the Super Friends Mm. and closing it out with Spider-Man and his amazing friends. I knew
1: you were going to pick that one. Of course you did. Do you want to elaborate on any of those the uh-huh. herculoid is that that's that's not Thundar the barbarian is it
0: take that and take half the cast and reduce it no that's gloop and gleep and the tyrannosaurus um okay yeah. or the triceratops that had the power was, pellets that he would shoot. yeah and that sasquatchy thing mm-hmm. but the family the herculoid family kind of looked like thundar and that's my honorable mention i did love thundar but not as much as those other three Uh, The Herculoids, I believe, is Mm -hmm. 68-ish. Challenges of Super Friends was fantastic every week. And when they moved that to after-school television, I think I probably watched each one of those episodes about six times because there was only like 22 of them. And then most of the challenge, of Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends is really good, especially the one where they collect a bunch of the superheroes mm. and put them through this torture chamber. I think Loki's in that one and Captain America's in that one. And it's all, I think at the behest or the will, the nefarious doings of the chameleon. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. What that's, a plot for the it's chameleon. A, it's a, yeah, exactly. Have you ever seen that one? No,
1: that's a good one. Speaking of which, I want to see him show up in a Spider-Man movie. I, I think too. He'd be a great villain.
0: Can I have one more honorable mention? Yes. I'm almost a little too old to really truly appreciate it, but I also did love the first X Men: Children of the Atom, that one that was like what ninety eighty nine to ninety whenever that was, mm-hmm. four seasons, five seasons, ninety two. Oh man, that's so! And the art in that is top line. That is that's a good show. Those are some of the best X Men stories that have ever been told. And well, I believe a, Chris Claremont had a tie in that. Yeah, so it's
1: I've, the only time they've ever been able to do Dark Phoenix right.
0: <laughs> You're right. <laughs>
1: Great choices.
0: So I just stole two and a half hours when you gave me 90 minutes, but it's my bowl of cereal oh, and it's can, really we can big. We have so. a whole
1: morning of it from 8 to 12 and then we'll have a post-sugar just crash.
0: <laughs> That's one of the benefits of streaming, but it's also one of the things that I'm, I feel bad for young people today. Mm-hmm. You had to grind through the commercials, but those really weren't such a grind because man, they used to advertise some awesome toys then.
1: Well, the toys, and then like like that's where like I'd get like a lot of like snack foods too, uh-huh. like Fruit by the Foot and like Gushers, mm-hmm. and like I was there when like GoGurt became a thing. Like you would see those. Com- you're right, like that Crunch was, and Munch. That was part of it, or yeah, you would see like the the toys Crossfire, the board game. It oh a, yeah, it was a big one, and I was like, I want that game. I don't get it. And then my cousin had it, and we played it, and it sucked. <laughs> Really? Oh, that sucks. <laughs> the commercial was bad. It looked like Tron. And I was like, I was like, what are these kids doing in this tournament thing? Yeah, I do feel sorry for the kid. They're going to miss out. Yeah, the streaming should be able to, like, throw in some commercials in there or something. Vintage yeah. commercials.
0: All right. I'm dying to hear your 90 minutes of joy here. All right. My number three, I grew up in the 90s, so I was very
1: much a Nickelodeon kid. Uh, one of the ones I got to throw in there was Doug. Man, Doug, the ever daydreamer character that shows bonkers like it's so wild and it's it's hilarious and I think it might be on Hulu right now but that was one of my favorite Nickelodeon shows Rugrats of, of course that was always pretty good they had good programming in the 90s I don't know what the hell it looks like now. <laughs> uh, number two for me I love that you mentioned Hanna-Barbera because I'm a huge Hanna-Barbera fan any consideration to Scooby-Doo where are you for sure yeah it's good stuff mm-hmm. I gotta go Johnny Quest Love that one too.
0: You yeah. know, I love that one. Uh, you bought me it.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Johnny Qued. Yeah. Race. Race Bannon. Yeah. Just like an pseudo like jazz score. Like, oh yeah. What a wild show that is, and it's so much fun on HBO Max right now. If you mm-hmm. want to watch it. Mm-hmm. And number one, one of the best animated series of all time, it's Batman the Animated Series. I mean, I would be it'd be sacrilege if I didn't include that. It's we talked about the Art Deco aspect of that the other day, and. Just how how really adult that show is, but man, they tackle all the villains. I mean, Kevin Conroy's an amazing Batman voice. Uh, Mark Hamill is the Joker. Yeah, sign me up. That's that's
0: that's my morning there. And I miss that. Those were some good days. I do too. Yeah,
1: simpler, simpler times. Mm-hmm. Hey, we wake up on on Saturday mornings and we cut a podcast. I mean, it's just we've evolved. We've from taking
0: that. that bowl of cereal and turned it into a bowl of bourbon there you go
1: <laughs> most days that's exactly what that's like yeah oh man i love your choices oh, too. Man, i wish i could find the like uh the herculoids and thunder of the barbarian i'm surprised that's not streaming my hope though is hbo max is so amazing and the vintage stuff that it shows that because they own the hanna-barbera license that those shows will show up on that platform if they do we'll we'll have a saturday morning of it oh god that would be great
0: space ghost well, that's what I was just going to ask you. Yeah. We're not coast to coast, but Space Ghost <laughs> initially was really good. Coast you, to coast. The Blue Falcon was pretty good too. <laughs> mm-hmm. And now we're going. We yeah. could go on and on. We just turned Hong Saturday Kong movie. Oh, yeah. Underdog.
1: That's yeah. That's all Hanna Barbera. Not Underdog, but all those other guys. That's, that's good stuff. I wasn't into Josie and the Pussycats,
0: but like even like that animation, give it to me. I'll take that over anything. Can I say one more? Yeah. You know who had a really awesome Rogues Gallery. Mm. Was Rocky and Bullwinkle? Oh yeah. That's a good show. I know. Did you ever watch last one, and then we'll get out of here? George of the Jungle, the sure. cartoon. Yeah, George of the Jungle had Super Chicken. <laughs> I remember that too. You remember
1: Super Chicken?
0: And you know what? I'm confusing Rocky and Bullwinkle had Natasha and Boris. I'm, yes. th- I'm actually thinking of Underdog. That's who had such a good rogue oh, gallery. Okay. Oh yeah, man. Now, uh, yeah, we got a whole, we, we got mm-hmm. a whole weekend plan. Now we might have to do a Saturday morning <laughs> cask. Yeah. <gasps> Maybe that's a Patreon coming up. Saturday morning cartoons. We'll pick, we'll each pick a series and burn through a couple of a season of that. No a season. Oh, okay. Like we can do, you know, I told you some weeks ago that I was reading justice. We talked Mm. about the Alex Ross playing justice league and, um, Legion of doom and justice league straight. Yeah. It kind of fizzled out. Like I said, that's the third comic book that I'll let you read this week. Um, Challenge of the Super Friends was really good. That first season's amazing, and, man, that'd be fun to watch. That'd be really good. Did such a good job of introducing all of those people to the entire canon of D.C. that mattered in mm-hmm. 24 minutes.
1: And doing business out of their little Hall of Justice. Oh, man. Cheers, Matt. Cheers, Jesse. Oh, what a trip down memory lane it was fun uh, to do that. But that's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from 1990, part one, first stop on this summer box office Hall of Fame. Coming up next week a series we've talked about before, and we just talked about it briefly. We might have to bring the guest on then when we talked about it before, but we're venturing to the world of Indiana Jones again, and it's time, Matt, to talk about The Temple of Doom. Ooh. I'm going
0: to rip your heart out.
1: Kali Ma Shakti Day. Mularam. <laughs> Can't wait. Yeah, that's going to be wild because you either yin or yang on this film, mm-hmm. and this is often sometimes people's favorites that saw this first. But uh, well, this movie's bad shit, and it mm-hmm. caused a lot of issues, not only for Steven Spielberg because he was going through a divorce and Lucas, and it's so dark, but it created a new rating for us, mm. Mr. PG-13. Mm-hmm. So we got to talk about all that and all the dark cult aspects, but there's some things in it that I really do like. That mine car chase, I, I really dig that. So yeah, uh, And I'm going to find that old photo that I talked to you about of me as Indy on the bridge with all my teeth missing. Awesome. But <laughs> excuse me, that's coming to you next week. So until then, cheers. Cheers. I got to get going. I forgot to mention this on the podcast, but the thing I wanted to do the most when I grew up, I didn't want to be a fireman or this or that. When my parents asked me, Jesse, what do you want to be when you grow up? I I wanted to be a Ninja Turtle and eat pizza and fight crime in the street. So I'm going to go do that right now.
0: Got a full day of work ahead of you. (laughs) Excellent. We'll see you all next week. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark.
1: Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. For more Rye Smile content, go to patreon.com slash films for exclusive bonus episodes, plus feature-length watch-along commentaries on your favorite movies, and TV show recap episodes covering the best from the small screen. For Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is property of New Line Cinema, 888 Productions, Golden Harvest Productions, and Limelight Entertainment. And no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers.
2: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I have always liked... Kawabunga. Hmm? Huh? Kawabanga! I made a <laughs> <laughs>